Desperate times call for desperate measures. In other words, sometimes things are so serious that it justifies doing things and saying things that maybe you normally wouldn't do or say. Like the time that uh, we were out for a walk as a family. Things started pretty well. We're just walking down our quiet little street, having a nice leisurely stroll to the park at the end so we could have a play. When one of the kids, Tor, decided to run ahead, which was fine, except that at the same time, a car from a couple of houses up started to back out of its driveway. Now, it was obvious. Tor hadn't seen the car, and it seemed like the car hadn't seen Tor, and they were on a collision course. Now, I like to think I'm normally a pretty quiet sort of a guy. I don't get worked up about too much. But on this occasion, I just chucked everything I had, and I started running down the street yelling out, Stop, Tor, stop! A bit embarrassing, but thankfully, both Tor and the car stopped about a metre away from each other in the middle of this driveway. Desperate uh, times call for desperate measures. This morning, as we move into 2 Peter chapter 2, we'll see another example of when desperate times call for desperate measures. As soon as chapter 2 starts, it becomes obvious there is a desperately serious problem in the church Peter's writing to. And the problem is all to do with the arrival of false teachers. Now you can tell it's a serious problem because Peter starts taking some desperate measures. First of all, he says that these false teachers have already been condemned by God. He says their condemnation has long been hanging over them. But that's not enough for Peter because he wants us to know exactly what he thinks of these guys. He wants us to know that not only does God condemn them, he condemns them as well. And so in maybe some of the strongest, most uh, condemning language found in the Bible, Peter says that these false teachers are bold and arrogant. They're like brute beasts. They're blots and blemishes. He says they're like dogs who spew up their food and come back and lick it up for a second go. And Peter uses this extreme language that we almost recoil at, and I reckon he uses it deliberately because desperate times call for desperate measures. He uses this extreme language so as to help us see just how extremely serious this problem is and so as to make sure that we're taking the problem seriously. But we'll come back to that. Let's start by looking at the problem, the false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter doesn't pull any punches. He says there will be false teachers among you. Don't be surprised. Instead, you should actually expect it because there have always been false prophets among God's people. So don't be surprised when false teachers turn up. But it is a problem. Why is it a problem? Well, false teachers are a problem because they're undoing everything Peter's been doing in the letter. Remember what Peter's been doing? Back in chapter 1 and verse 3, he told us that we have, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. Then he urged us to be productive and effective with that knowledge so that we would receive a, a, a rich welcome into Jesus' eternal kingdom. But now the false teachers are undermining all of that. So have a look at chapter 2 and halfway through verse 1. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. See, unlike Peter, the false teachers secretly introduce destructive heresies. In other words, they start teaching things about God and about Jesus that are untrue. Lies that will lead people away from Jesus. Lies like the one where they said that Jesus wouldn't come back. 
And so he won't judge the world. And so it doesn't matter how you live. They secretly introduce these lies and they start to undermine everything Peter's been doing. Remember what else Peter said back in chapter 1? Verse 16. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter wanted us to know that what he's saying, it's not a cleverly invented story. He's not making it up. In fact, he goes on at the start of chapter 3, just after this chapter all about false teachers, he goes on there and he says that the whole reason he wrote this letter, in fact, the whole reason he wrote this letter and another one before it, was to remind us of what the prophets and the apostles said. So have a quick look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. So Peter wants us to know he's not making it all up and he wants us to remember what we heard from the prophets and the apostles that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour, that he is coming in power. But what are the false teachers doing? Well, they're not reminding us of anything. In fact, instead, they're just making stuff up. Have a look back at chapter 2 and verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. You're starting to see why these false teachers are such a problem? Peter's been reminding us that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour. He's been reminding us that he's coming back to judge in power and to save. He's been reminding us of the importance of living now as productive and effective servants of Jesus so as to be prepared for his coming. He wants us to know that it's not all a cleverly invented story. But these false teachers are undermining all of that by secretly introducing destructive heresies, by denying Jesus and by just making stuff up. And the saddest part about it all is that Peter says it will work. Because did you see what he said in chapter 2 and verse 2? Many, many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. This is a desperately serious problem. These people aren't making an innocent mistake. They're teaching things that are not true about Jesus. They're denying the sovereign Lord, the one who bought them. They're deliberately teaching things that are designed to lead people away from Jesus. And Peter says it will work. Many will follow them. And it's a serious problem. Now, one reason you can tell it's a serious problem is because Peter says they've already been condemned by God. Let's pick it up from verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. What Peter's saying there is it might look like these false teachers are getting away with it. At times it might look like they're prospering. It might look like they've got really successful ministries. They will probably persuade lots of people but the thing is they won't get away with it. They won't prosper forever. God won't turn a blind eye to this. It's far too serious. In fact, God has already passed judgment on them. They've already been condemned and now he's just holding them to be punished and destroyed when Jesus comes again in power because that's how serious it is to deny Jesus. And that's how serious it is to teach others to deny Jesus. 
Sometimes when we're out as a family, this might be hard to believe, but sometimes when we're out as a family, one of the kids does something wrong. You know, they hurt one of their siblings or they disobey Sarah or me. They do something and they deserve to be punished. Depending on the situation, though, when we're out, it's not always appropriate to punish them then and there. So at times like that, what I do is I tell them that what they did was unacceptable and I tell them they're going to have to be punished later on. Unfortunately, what usually happens is I completely forget all about it when we get home and they get away with it. God is not like that. When he says he's holding them for punishment, he is holding them for punishment. And just in case we need a reminder that God knows how to condemn sinners, in verses 4 to 8, Peter goes on to give three examples of God's judgment so as to make it abundantly clear that God will swiftly and certainly judge these false teachers. Now, two of the examples he gives are pretty familiar to us. So in verse 6, Peter mentions the time that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes because those cities were full of filthy sexual immorality. In verse 5, he talks about God destroying the entire earth when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. He did that because of how wicked people had become. But in verse 4, he mentions a really odd example. Let's have a look. Verse 4. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So it's a strange example, that one, isn't it? It's unfamiliar, particularly compared to the other ones. And that's because it's not really clear where in the Old Testament that comes from. It's possible that it could be a reference to the start of Genesis 6. Remember there, the sons of God, maybe angels, married the, son, uh, the daughters of women and had children with them. Could be a reference to that. It could also be talking about Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28. Passages that may be talking about the fall of Satan and other disobedient angels. The problem is all those passages are a bit ambiguous and it's not at all clear which one, if any, Peter's referring to. What is clear, though, is Peter's point. God knows how to condemn sinners. He has shown it over and over and over again. God knows how to deal with serious problems and denying Jesus and teaching others to deny Jesus, that is about as serious as it gets. See, for Peter, what the false teachers are doing, it's about as serious as angels disobeying God. It's about as serious as the entire earth being wiped out by a flood. It's about as serious as two cities full of people being reduced to smouldering rubble. And you can see it's a serious problem because they've already been condemned by God. And now, now they're just waiting for their destruction on the day when Jesus comes again in power. But that's not enough for Peter. It's not enough that we know they've been condemned by God. He wants us to know that they've been condemned by him as well. And so from verse 10 on, he just rips into them. And he, re- he reveals layer after layer after layer of blasphemy and adultery and depravity and filth. And he does it so as to expose their true nature to us. He does it so that we won't be fooled by their secrets and their deception and their lies. So verse 10. Bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Verse 12. 
These men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts. See, they're just dumb animals, driven by the most base instincts. They talk about stuff they don't even understand. And like brute beasts, he says, they're born only to be caught and destroyed. Verse 13. They'll be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes. These people are ugly stains. They corrupt and contaminate anything they come in contact with. They don't even pretend to hide their sin. Verse 14. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They can't help but look at a woman and lust after her. They seduce the unstable. Like the scavenging predators they are, these people prey on the weak and the vulnerable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Their hearts are trained in selfishness and greed. Through long hours of practice, they know how to get whatever they want with no regard for anyone else. Verse 17, these men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. See, they boast and they brag and they make great claims, but they deliver nothing. By appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. They make it sound like embracing your lustful, sinful desires is liberating. They make it sound like looking at pornography is freedom. They make it sound like having an affair is freedom, but all the while they're enslaved by depravity. What they offer as freedom is enslavement. They mouth empty, boastful words. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Verse 22. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. If these false teachers have escaped the corruption in the world through the knowledge of Jesus and have gone back to being entangled in it again, then they're like pigs. Pigs that were living in filth and got washed only to go back to rolling in the muck again. And anyone who listens to them, anyone who's led astray by them, is like a dog. A dog that vomits up and then goes and licks it up again. Imagine that. Imagine the next time you're sick and you vomit up into an ice cream bucket and there's bits of carrot floating around in there with whatever else you've just eaten and you finish throwing up and you wipe your mouth and you just drink it all back down again. If it makes you feel sick, the thought of that, then good. Because that's how Peter wants us to feel. He wants us to feel sick in the stomach at the thought of following their shameful ways. It's something a dumb animal would do, isn't it? That's how dumb it is to listen to the false teachers, to be led astray by them. But I guess the question is, who would? If they're really like this, then who would listen to them, right? Well, remember, it's all secretly introduced. Of course, on the surface, they don't look like this. They're just ordinary people. Probably got a good sense of humour. Probably got really good people skills. They might be really enjoyable to talk to. They might even invite you home for lunch afterwards. Their kids probably go to school with your kids. They almost certainly won't look like this. But what Peter's doing is he's peeling back the layers so as to show us what they're really like so that we'll take this problem seriously. So are you? 
Are you taking this problem seriously? Because make no mistake, just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament and just like there were false teachers in the church Peter was writing to, there are people today, there are stacks of people today who want you to believe in destructive heresies. There are stacks of people today who want to sell you stories they've just made up. And it's a serious danger, seriously dangerous problem. And Peter says it will work. So are you taking this problem seriously? Have you got your head engaged? How do you reckon you'd go at picking a secretly introduced destructive idea? How do you go at picking the lie when the Mormons and the JWs come to knock on the door? It's worth seriously thinking about this, I reckon, because it's easy to be smug. It's easy to be complacent. It's easy to think that you'll never get taken in. But no one ever thinks they'll get taken in, and yet Peter says, many will follow their shameful ways. A few months ago, the New York Times ran an article called Born to be Conned. In the article, they told a story of a woman from New York, an intelligent woman, a woman who studied sociology at university, who went on and got a PhD, and who became the editor of Scientific American, an intelligent young woman. But despite all that, she was deceived and conned and lost a stack of money in a simple game of three-card Monty on the sidewalk. Afterwards, she said, the rational part of me knows I was conned, but there's still a part of me that feels I was unlucky. See, no one ever thinks they're going to get conned, and even when they are, they just think they were unlucky. But friends, being deceived by false teachers, that is not unlucky. That's unproductive. That's ineffective. And it's seriously dangerous. So let me ask you again, are you taking this problem seriously? Because if you are, then I'm sure you're making every effort to add to your faith knowledge, aren't you? Are you? I'm sure you're making every effort so that you can recall the words spoken by the prophets and the apostles. How might you do that? Well, you can only recall words you've already heard, can't you? Which really begs the question, how are you going at reading the Bible for yourself? Because if you're serious about this problem, then you won't just come along here on Sunday to be spoon-fed a Bible talk. You'll be reading the Bible for yourself. So how are you going with that? When was the last time that you sat down and read the Bible and actually thought hard about what it's saying? When was the last time you sat down and read the Bible with a decent commentary open beside you to make sure that you get it right because this stuff really matters? When was the last time you read a good, meaty Christian book? You know, the kind of book that pushes you hard and stretches you and really helps you to grow in knowledge. Maybe a substantial book on Christian doctrine. Or do you reckon that's just for the serious people? You know, if you're taking this problem seriously, then maybe next year you just pick one book of the Bible and you hit it hard and you really drill down deep into it and you make sure that you've got your head around what it's saying so that you can distinguish the truth from the lie. Now, I realise this is all pretty full on, but that's kind of the point because desperate times call for desperate measures. But look, if you just want one thing you can go away with, one achievable thing you can do tomorrow, then maybe it's this. Maybe, just read 2 Peter chapter 3. It's only 18 verses. 
And then maybe during the week just have a think about what you reckon it's saying. So that this time next week you can come along and you can make sure that I'm not introducing secret destructive ideas and making stuff up. Or maybe tomorrow you could just learn a memory verse. When was the last time you did that? If you're serious about this problem, then that would be a great thing to do because learning a memory verse would really help you to recall the things you've heard from the prophets and the apostles. But look, whatever you do, don't be smug. Please don't be complacent. And don't rely on luck. This is far too serious for that. Instead, make every effort to grow in knowledge. Make every effort to call to mind the words of the prophets and the apostles because there will be false teachers among you and many will follow their shameful ways. Make sure you're not one of them, won't you? Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder this morning of the dangers uh, that await us. Father, it's a scary thought to think that there are false teachers, that there are people who want want us to believe destructive heresies. There are people who want us to believe liars that will take us away from Jesus. Father, please protect us from those things. Help us to remember the things we've thought about from 2 Peter. That through the knowledge of Jesus, we have everything we need for life and godliness. That by being productive with that knowledge, by living as effective servants of Jesus, we will receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. Father, help us to be good at reading your word and remembering it and calling it to mind so we won't be led astray, so we won't be deceived and seduced. Father, please protect us from those things. Amen.